Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya I just have to find it here because I can't read that without glasses. The joys of aging. Nasham Nishamya Putranam Nasham Nishamya Putranam Nasham Nishamya Putranam Naradach Chila Shalinam Naradach Chila Shalinam Naradachila Shalinam Nasham Nishamya Putranam Naradachila Shalinam Anvatapyata Ka Shochan Anvatapyata Ka Shochan Anvatapyata Kasochan. It's not an easy word to say, is it? <laughs> Suprajastvang Suchang Param Suprajastvang Suchang Param Suprajastvang Suchang Param Anvatapyata kasochan Suprajastvam suchamparam Thank you, Prabhu. Now I can see. I wish I could get transcendental vision as easy as I can get material vision. That would be really good. Nasam nisamya putranam Naradach chila shalinam Anvatapyata kasochan Suprajastvang suchang param Nasham nishamya putranam Naradach chila shalinam Anvatapyata kasochan Suprajastvang suchamparam Nasham The loss Nishamya Hearing of Putranam Of his sons Naradat From Narada so we see what's happening here, and this, this is not really clear in the translation, um, that, that Narada, after you know, speaking to the Haryashvas and them sort of taking his instructions seriously, has now gone to meet with 
Daksha, and he's told Daksha that actually your sons have pursued the path of renunciation. And we'll see, thank you, Marjorie. We'll see um, Daksha's response to that. Sheila Shalinam, who were the best of well-behaved persons. Anvatapyata suffered. Ka Prajapati Daksha. Shochan lamenting. Su Prajastvam having 10,000 well-behaved sons. Sucham of lamentation. Padam position. Translation. The Hayashvas, the sons of Prajapati Daksha, were very well-behaved, cultured sons. But unfortunately, because of the instructions of Narada Muni, they deviated from the order of their father. When Daksha heard this news, which was brought to him by Narada Muni, he began to lament. Although he was the father of such good sons, he had lost them all. Certainly, this was lamentable. Responsibly, please. The Hayashvas, the sons of Prajapati Daksha, were very well behaved. Cultured sons. But unfortunately, because of the instructions of Narada Muni, they deviated from the order of their father. When Daksha heard this news, which was brought to him by Narada Muni, he began to lament. Although he was the father of such good sons, he had lost them all. Certainly, this was lamentable. So it's really interesting here that the Bhagavatam is saying this was a very unfortunate outcome and it was lamentable, isn't it? Yeah. But we can understand that this is actually the perspective of Daksha. This is the pers presenting the perspective of a materialistic person. Because for someone who's a Vaishnav, this is the most glorious outcome that they've actually you know, taken to the path of pure bhakti. Yeah, so we'll read with Prabhupada's purport. Purport. The Hayashvas, the sons of Prajapati, of Prajapati Daksha, were certainly well-behaved, learned, and advanced. And in accordance with the order of their father, they went to perform austerities to beget good sons for their family. Does anyone know what Daksha means? Huh? Expert. And what was he expert at? Sex life. He was very expert at sex life. Huh? And he's, yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit in a while, but that was his expertise. But Narada Muni took advantage of their good behavior and culture to properly direct them not to be involved with this material world. Notice Prabhupada says to properly direct them. He's not saying it was unfortunate. Uh, not to be involved with this material world, but to use their culture and knowledge to end their material affairs. And this is the proper use of culture and knowledge. Any, any quality we have, the proper use of it is to engage it in Krishna's service. The Hayashvas abided by the order of Narad Muni, but when the news of this was brought to Prajapati Daksha, the Prajapati, instead of being happy with the actions of Narad Muni, was extremely sorrowful. Similarly, we are trying to bring as many young men as possible 
to the Krishna consciousness movement for their ultimate benefit. But the parents of the young men joining this movement, being very sorry, are lamenting and making counter-propaganda. Of course, Prajapati Daksha did not make propaganda against Narad Muni, but later, as we shall see, Daksha cursed Narada Muni for his benevolent activities. This is the way of materialistic life. A materialistic father and mother want to engage their sons in begetting children, striving for improved economic conditions and rotting in materialistic life. They are not unhappy when their children become spoiled, useless citizens, but they lament when they join the Krishna Consciousness Movement to achieve the ultimate goal of life. This animosity between parents and the Krishna Consciousness Movement has existed since time immemorial. Even Narada Muni was condemned not to speak of others. Nevertheless, Narada Muni never gives up, gives up his mission. To deliver as many fallen souls as possible, he continues playing his musical instrument and vibrating the transcendental sound, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So another wonderful purport from Srila Prabhupada uh, where he's explaining the reality. And we see that you know, Srila Prabhupada, the way he <coughs> presents the, the, the reality, it just cuts through illusion. Very, very clear. You know, he's talking about you know, uh, here rotting in materialistic life. Because that's the fact of it. If people are overtaken by materialistic life, they're actually losing all good quality. They're losing their opportunity uh, to utilize the human form of life for what it's meant for. Because we see that Prahlad Maharaj in the uh, seventh canto, he says, Komana Archa Praga, Dhamma Bhagavatamayam, Durabam Manasam Janma, Tarapi Adruva Martyrdam. Oh, time for Darshan. So we, we see that. He's explaining to his friends that actually, what is the human form of life meant for? It's not meant for, you know, and, and Kapiladev, he makes the same point in the fifth canto, that the, the human form, form of life is not meant for engaging in materialistic activities. Or, or as uh, Rishabdev points out, he says, it's not meant to engage these, in these activities which are meant for the hogs and dogs which eat stool. Because we see that the life, the life of, of eating, sleeping, mating, defending, as, as is pointed out in the Hito Padesh, uh, it says, I missed the line there. Anyhow, essentially what this verse is explaining, that these activities of, of eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, these are available both to men and animals. Yeah? But if a man or a human being, because we're, you know, men or women, doesn't matter. If a human being engages in these activities, then actually they're no better than an animal. Actually they are. It says, Dharma, Dharma, Dharmina, Pashubi, Samana. So Samana means the same. So, uh, you know, if a man doesn't engage in Dharma, which is the business of a human being, is to engage in Dharma. What's the purpose of Dharma? Is to understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, if, if a, man, a human being doesn't engage in Dharma, then they're actually living an animalistic life. And Prahlad Maharaj, he makes this same point. He says, Kormana Achara Pragyo. From the Kormana, from the tender age of childhood, which essentially means from the age of five years old, they should engage in the activities of, of devotional service. Otherwise, what happens 
is they glide down into these lower and lower species of life. And we see here, this, this is Prabhupada is very clearly pointing this out in this purport, how if, if you know, you know the, the situation with the Hariyashas, because they're very, very cultured, intelligent. And we can see their intelligence, because if you look at the beginning of this chapter, Narad Muni, in four verses, he presents an allegory. And he just gives 10 instructions, very simple instructions, you know, uh, which I'm sure that, it, well, maybe, at least I can speak for myself. If someone came to me and told me these 10 things, I would think, what in the world are they talking about? Huh? But the Hayashas didn't, didn't respond like that. They understood what Narad Muni was talking about. So this, this helps us to see, one, the potency of Narad Muni's instructions. Because he was able to give an instruction that went straight to the heart of the Hariyashvas. And we see that when an advanced soul gives instructions, just like we see Srila Prabhupada when he gave instructions, it went to the heart. And, and, and it, it, it changed the heart of those who, who were receptive. And I'm sure we've all had the experience in our own lives, is we receive spiritual instruction from an advanced devotee, and it changes our heart. We go from materialistic life to wanting to be uh, a spiritualist, to, to wanting to take up spiritual life very seriously. And this is the transcendental process. Just like uh, Ani Rudra was making the point in class yesterday, that even though you know, the material tongue, the senses, they're material, but when the tongue vibrates the holy name, because the holy name is, is completely transcendental, it's Nama Chintamani Krishnas Chaitanya Rasa Vigraha, it's not a material name under any circumstance. It's, 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 it's a transcendental touchstone. It's non-different from Krishna. It's exactly the same as Krishna. So Krishna is present in his holy name fully. He's manifest as the holy name. So when the holy name dances on our tongue, actually Krishna is dancing on our tongue. So with the process of bhakti, we see you know, that the, the Hariyashvas, they took to the process of bhakti, and because they took to it with all sincerity, they went to, the, to this Narayana Saras, this lake, and they sat down and they started to pray to the Lord. So by daily bathing in, in this holy river, a holy lake, and, and, and praying to the Lord, then they became very, very purified. And this is the effect also of holy places. This, this pastime, uh, in the Bhagavatam, many, many instructions are there. Many very, very important instructions for us. So one is the benefit of, of going to holy places. Uh, another is the benefit of, of hearing instructions from great saintly persons. And of course, there is also the benefit of, of, of approaching with a proper mentality. Because one can hear from a, a sadhu, and we see that many, many persons heard from Srila Prabhupada, yet not everyone took the message seriously. And, and, and the same as like, you know, you know for, for those of you who go out and do street sankirtan, you may meet many uh, people on the street and, and, and you know, occasionally you'll meet someone who takes it very seriously. And, and you know, they'll, they'll take a book, they'll read the book, they'll, 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 they'll start to develop their interest in, in transcendental knowledge. And then eventually they become a devotee. But there's so many others you know, I, I remember like, you know, when, when we were doing bush distribution when I was younger, that, you know, sometimes like people, they'd hit you, you know, you put the hand, the book out to them to take the book and they'd hit you on the hands or they, they, they you know, sometimes throw things at you. I remember one time we were um, doing, doing Harinam here in, in, in Swanson Street 
across the road from Gopal's, and someone threw a, a 20 cent coin from up in the building. And it, I can't remember where it hit me, but it really hurt. You know, so sometimes we see that, that um, you know, people you know, they actually have a very, very envious nature. Sometimes they attack their devotees. We were on a Harinam in Sarajevo in, in Bosnia, and we were attacked, you know, and some of the devotees were knifed. Um, you know, so it was, you know, like sometimes people have a very, very envious or inimical nature towards the devotees. So for them, it's very difficult for them to take the process of devotional service. But others who are, have some, maybe they're curious, maybe they just want to know a little bit about it, but they ha they're, they're not envious, and therefore they're able to take the process uh, you know, through, through purification. We see here with the Haryashvas, they had all good qualities. They were very, very cultured, well-behaved, but also they were very, very intelligent. Because we see, they heard these, these simple instructions from Narayamuni were given in four verses at the start of this chapter, I think verses six, no, five, six, seven, eight. In this chapter, you'll see that there's these um, instructions they give, and very simple things that, that Narad Muni is saying. You know, um, you know I can't remember remember all of them. But he talks. He talks about a prostitute. He talks about a husband. He talks about you know, there's a hole where, where, where if you go into the hole, you never come back. Uh, and he also talks about you know, the, the husband has 25 uh, qualities, and, and from these things that the Hariyashva has actually understood what Narad Muni was getting at. And Narad Muni, he, you, you see, um, in many places he tells these allegorical stories. You know, the, st the story of Paranjana, which he told to Prachanabahishat. And then, you know, from this story, Prachanabahishat was quite steeped in, in this desire to enjoy material life. And uh, um, Prachanabahi means like he actually, he did so many yagyas, because he was doing, he was very expert at doing yagyas, you know, fruitive, you know, Kamakanda yagas. And he, he's, he's, one of his names means that he was so expert at doing yagas that there was kusha grass strewn all over the world. Yeah. He did so many yagas, he was constantly doing yagas. I mean, he was offering these yagas to Vishnu, but the purpose of his yagas was to get material gain. Daksha is very much in the same way. He's very much, you know, he a very strong material desire. But, um, so Narad Muni, he's very expert at telling these allegorical stories, but with Prachnabahishat, it took him quite some time before he actually understood Narad Muni's purpose. But with the Haryashvas, because they're very, very intelligent, very cultured, then they just heard this simple, you know, four verses is all Narad Muni spoke, 10 things he said in an allegorical way, and they understood. So we can see they're very, very intelligent people. So they, they uh, took the process of bhakti, and, and then, then became purified and, and renounced completely. They gave up the desire to, procre you know, to, to have children because, because they went there following the instructions of their father to procreate. So they were going to you know, uh, have, you know, have children to populate the planet because this was Daksha's duty. was to Because uh, to, as a prajapati, it's his duty to fill up the, 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 the world with, with progeny. So he went there with that purpose. Uh, so they, they went there, you know, you know he instructed his 10,000 sons, the Hayashvas, to go to Narayanasaras with that purpose to um, develop the determination to, to procreate. But they went there, Narad Muni saw their qualities, you know, they, they were performing tapasya and bathing daily in the water, etc. Narad Muni saw their qualities, he thought, oh, these persons are, are ripe candidates for spiritual life. 
So he, he, uh, he went there and instructed them. And as Narad had observed, they were right candidates, so they very quickly took to the spiritual process. And this wasn't very pleasing to Daksha at all. And we see here, this is being described in this verse. And as we see, as this um, chapter unfolds, so, okay, he's feeling upset now. The next few verses talk about his, his lamentation. And then, uh, because his father, Brahmaji, had told him, no, we want you to procreate. So he uh, resolved to take again to the instructions of Brahmaji. He created the, uh, the Shavalashas, I think they're called, another uh, thousand sons he had. So you can see how powerful Daksha is. You know, he's just had 10,000 sons, he and his wife, very, very, you know, potent. He's just had 10,000 sons. They're, 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 they're taken to the path of renunciation. Okay, I'm going to have another 1,000 sons. You know, the, the fact that he can, you know, um, you know, have that m m much progeny and also maintain them is quite extraordinary. I mean, you know, in this day and age, people have two, three, four children. It's like, it's challenging. I remember when I, when I was a child, um, I, I lived here in, in um, Laverton, just not far from here. And, and um, there was people around the corner, they had 17 children in their family. But in this day and age, that's just unheard of. But th then it wasn't so rare. Huh? Because, you know, it's cheaper by the dozen sort of thing. You know, you just, the more and more kids you have, the more things they can do. And you find, like, you know, uh, in, in India also, you'll find that, you know, sometimes the families are quite large, but the children are quite capable of doing things. You know, like, like you know, you'll see, like, and it's not uncommon in the, in the villages uh, in India where you'll see, like, you'll have a, ch a girl who's like eight or nine or ten years old, and she's looking after her, her, her siblings. You know, they'll be, she'll be walking around with, with a baby on her hip. You know, so, uh, but in this day and age, kids, generally speaking, aren't so useful. They're just like, you know, they just want to play in the dirt all day long or stuff like that. But, you know, you'll see <coughs> oftentimes in the villages in, in India that um, the children are engaged in, in, in uh, household affairs. They're not just playing all day long. And so um, we, we can see as Kali Yuga progresses how, how actually people are becoming, you know, the bodies are becoming less and less potent and, and people are becoming less and less capable. And, and we'll see, you know, as, as Kali Yuga progresses, the people become, you know, basically useless. All, all, all they're good for is sense gratification. Uh, and that's, that's the whole, the whole uh, impetus, is just to satisfy their desires, to satisfy their senses. So we see here also how Daksha is becoming very, very upset about this situation. He's, he's thinking, it's very unfortunate that my sons have taken the path of renunciation. Now there's a reason for this, because Daksha's purpose is to procreate. And he wants all that, that all his progeny should be engaged in procreation. So when he sees that his sons <coughs> have gone away to um, practice renunciation, and they're, then they're, from his perspective, they're diverted from their path. They're, 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 he's upset because his purpose is being frustrated. And, and because he's a materialistic, I mean, okay, he's seen the Supreme Personality, there's no, there's no doubt about this. But because he's materialistic, he, 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 he starts to harbor some anger. And this will manifest later on. But we see this isn't the first time. Because if you look at Daksha's history, you know, um, when, in, in a previous manifestation, because you know, this is, not, this is his, his second appearance as Daksha. 
at least what's described in the Bhagavatam. Previously, we see that in the Daksha Yagya, uh, when, when um, what was his daughter's name? Married to Lord Shiva? Sati, yeah, she had another name also. What was the other name? The name before she was called Sati? Because Sati came as a result of, of entering, in, entering into the fire. Anyway, so I can't remember her name right now. But um, um, his daughter was the, uh, the his, sorry, his wife, Shiva's wife was the daughter of Daksha. And, and what happened was that um, Daksha uh, thought that Shiva was a low-class person. And he, he was actually really reluctant to give his daughter to Shiva, because, but he only did it because Brahma told him to do it. But we see that he, uh, he wound up offending Lord Shiva, and then as a result, you know, um, his daughter, Sati, uh, performed the Sati rite. She, she actually you know, sat down, meditated, and her body burst into flames. And so Lord Shiva was quite upset about that. And so he went to the yagya and he, he, he basically destroyed the whole yagya. And, and uh, actually, no, he didn't go there. His, his followers went there. And because they, they, were, they were kind of a bit uh, annoyed that, that, uh, that Sati, because, you know, because they're followers of Lord Shiva, it's like, you know, Shiva's the king, Sati's the queen. So they're seeing that this person ha has brought about the death of, of our worshipable sort of matriarch. And so... Um, they went there, you know, Nandi and, and, and all, all, all the different followers of, of Shiva, and they completely destroyed the, uh, the uh, arena. And, and, and at one point, they cut off Daksha's head and threw his head into the sacrificial fire. So, so he... Huh? Jai. <laughs> and so, so he didn't have a head. But then, then Brahma, he went, he, and the, the Davidas, they went to Shiva, and they sort of pacified him and said, oh, you can't, you can't do this, you know, he's a prajapati, he's, he's meant to be procreating you know, and, and filling up the planet with progeny, the, the universe with progeny. So you have to restore this. And he said, okay, so, but his head was, was thrown in the fire, so he gave him the head of a goat, which is kind of really interesting. Why a goat? Because he was behaving a bit like an old goat. You know? and, and so yeah, they gave, gave him a head of a goat, and then at some point Daksha had realized that, that actually you know, I, I need to give up this body because I, I, I've acted, you know, I've acted badly. I've offended a great soul. So he gave up the body. He was born again as Daksha. But Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, he explains, and this sort of gets towards your question from yesterday. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur explains at the end of the last chapter how he still, the residue of, of his offense to Lord Shiva was still there with him because he committed such an, an uprod to a great Vaishnav um, therefore, this, this residue offense was still with him. And it's interesting because we see in the last chapter, Daksha went to, I can't remember the name of the place he went to, but he was, ch he was chanting these Hangsaguya prayers for the satisfaction of the Lord. And the Lord came. He saw, he saw Vishnu. But what did he pray to Vishnu for? You remember what he's praying to Vishnu for? Good life. What else? A good wife, yeah, but what else was he praying for? He wanted to create progeny. So essentially, he's approaching the Lord for sex life. So, you know, Krishna, the Lord Vishnu could have awarded him anything, but he didn't award him prema. He awarded him the capacity to have lots of children. 
So we see that through the process of bhakti, you can follow the process of bhakti, but you have to be careful what's going on, what, what your desires are, because whatever your desire is, that's going to be fulfilled. So if you're desiring to have a comfortable life and, and, and lots of you know, nice material enjoyments, then be careful, because it's what, it's what you might wind up with. But we see with, with devotees like Narad Muni and others, when they approach the Lord, they only have one thing in their mind, one thing in their hearts, is they just want to satisfy Vishnu and they want to always be absorbed in, 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 in serving the Lord. But Daksha, he had a different motive. His desire was to have progeny. He approached the Lord for progeny. But he had very, very strong desire. Whereas Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, he contrasts him to Kadama Muni. Kadama Muni also, he had some desire, but it wasn't a very strong desire. He wanted to have progeny, but he wanted to have the Supreme Personality of Godhead as his son. So um, he, he ha had the son and then he, then he, then he left. He went, he, he went and continued with, the, with his Tapasha. But, but Daksha, he had such strong desire to create that even though, because obviously he's a very, very qualified person, the fact that he had 11,000 sons indicates he's very qualified. You know, who, who in this day and age could do that? Yeah. You just, I mean, what woman could bear 11,000 children? You know, no, no woman could do that, let alone a man having the potency to, to, to impregnate a woman that many times. Yeah. But we see it wasn't uncommon. We, we, we even see with, with, uh, with um, Dhritarashtra and, and, and Gandhari, they had 100 sons also. You know, so back in, in the Vedic age, this kind of potency was not uncommon. But now it's, it's just you never hear of it. It's just, you know. For a woman to have even 15 children is, is unheard of. But you know, he, he had so many children, so obviously we can understand his potency. But unfortunately for him, that potency wasn't directed to, to the process of bhakti. That, that uh, potency was directed towards fruitive activities. And we see in a later purport in this chapter also that Srila Prabhupada refers to Daksha as a karmi because he was engaging in the Vedic ritualistic ceremonies for fruit of gain. So therefore we see that, um, you, know, uh, you know, that he became angry with, with Narad Muni when his, his desires for fruit of gain were frustrated. And this is a way you know, where we can, we can understand uh, where a person's at in, in terms of, of, of uh, you know, their, their mentality is when they're, when, they're, when they're faced with adversity, when things don't go the way they want to, them to go, how do they respond to that? Do they become angry? Do they become upset? Which is what, what happens here with Daksha. First off, he's becoming upset, and then later we see he becomes angry. This exposes his true nature. And we see that, that, that Narad Muni, he gets cursed. What does he do? Thank you very much. This exposes his true nature, that he's actually a great devotee of Krishna. And, and, and as we see, Narayana this is uh, um, uh, Lord Shiva is, is saying to his, his wife Parvati that, that you know, when, when, when um, what's his name was cursed? Chitraketu, thank you. When, Chitra, when, when Parvati cursed Chitraketu, Chitraketu, same kind of response. He said, Oh, thank you, my dear mother, for correcting my, my, my you know, crooked mentality. And then, then she was puzzled by that. She couldn't understand. You know, I've just cursed him. You know, 
to take a, a horrible birth, why doesn't he counter curse me? She was expecting that he would counter curse, and you know, and the, the story goes, you know, with, with different. You know, we see oftentimes it happens one curse, next curse, and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, like we see with uh, Vishwamitra and and um, forgetting names today, but also Vishwamitra had a similar kind of uh, uh, occurrence with him and another uh, sage. But they just counter curse and counter curse and counter curse, and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and escalates, you know, to the World War Three sort of thing. Um, but we see that Chitraketu, when he was cursed by poverty, he was just, thank you. And, and then you know, poverty was bewildered by this, so then, then Shiva explained to him, he said, he said, for a devotee of Krishna, because he's a devotee of Narayan, he never fears any condition of life, whether he's in the heavenly planets or the hellish planets, it's all the same thing to him. Why? Because he's always engaged in serving Krishna. His mind is always absorbed in thought of Krishna. And this is exactly what we see with Narad Muni here. And Prabhupada, he confirms this right at the end, where, where he says that, um, you know, Narad Muni never gives up his mission. And we see others, when they're frustrated, what do they do? They give up. They give up the mission. But Narad Muni never gives up his mission. And what's his mission? To deliver many fallen souls as possible. So he just continues in that mission, traveling around with his Veena. And we see this beautiful song from Bhakti Thakur that's quoted in yesterday's purport, and he's Narada Muni He's just traveling around the universe, playing on his veena, his stringed instrument, which is a really mystical veena, and he's just chanting Radhika Ramana, the names of Radhika Ramana, or chanting Hare Krishna. And that's what he does. Whatever adversity he's faced with, he just continues in his service. And so this is another lesson for us that's being uh, delivered in this chapter, is that regardless of what adversities we're faced with. And, and let's face it, there are so many adversities in this material world. You, know, you don't have to have a very good memory or, or be very perceptive to see that. You know, it's just like we're just, just now coming out of this you know, two-year-long adversity we've just been through called COVID-19. And we see that for many people, this adversity was overwhelming for them that they actually could not function, they ceased to function, they needed mental health you know, assistance and stuff like that. You know, so many people have had serious mental health issues as a result of the, 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 the adversities that have come about from this COVID-19. But for the devotees, it's not like that. For the devotees, they just remain engaged in service. And by uh, remaining engaged in service, by remaining engaged in the mission of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we remain connected with Krishna. And as long as we're connected with Krishna, as, as, as Krishna says to Arjuna at the end of the Gita, if you act you know, following my instructions, you will cross over all the obstacles of conditioned life. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say Arjuna, by your own prowess, prowess. He says, no, by my grace. He says, by my grace, by my mercy, by my mercy, you will cross over all the obstacles of conditioned life. He said, however, if you act out of false ego, not hearing me, you will be lost. So this is a really important instruction. And, and also this is, this is being uh, demonstrated here in this pastime with, with uh, Narad Muni. He's, it doesn't matter what adversity he's faced with. He, he's getting cursed by Daksha. He's okay with that. That's an adversity. Oh, you, you'll never have any home. Okay, fine. And we see that Prabhupada also in uh, one of the purports later on, he says how he's also been cursed by the, by the, by the parents of his, his disciples. And, and Prabhupada talks about this here also, how you know, 
that just as Prajapati Daksha became upset. Also, this, this is a, he says, since time immemorial, this problem's been going on, how the parents become upset when the children become devotees of Krishna. And, and we know, like, maybe in the West, it's not, not such a problem because the parents, you know, the families are somewhat fragmented in, in, in the West. But we see, particularly in India, like, if, if you talk to any young Indian brahmachari, and they, when they move into the ashram, generally what happens is their parents get really upset because they're thinking, oh, all, all, my, all my plans for my dynasty are becoming frustrated. Yeah? But, um, you know, and this, is, this has just been going on forever, that, that you know, um, the parents, you know, they have this idea, you know, they want to have grandchildren, and, you know, the pitter-patter of little feet running around, and they can play with the grandchildren, and the dynasty's expanding, and the, the children will become, you know, very, very affluent, they'll become wealthy, and then I'll be able to live comfortably. But it's all based on sense gratification, either, you know, personal or extended. But for one who's uh, active in Krishna consciousness, these things are, are ephemeral, or, or Prabhupada would often use the term will of the wisp. You know, um, a will of a wisp is like a, it's kind of like a, 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 a my understanding of it is an electrical sort of charge thing that just, you know, they manifest sometimes. Sometimes you see, you don't see them in Australia so much, we hear about them in Europe and places like that, how they'll get these uh, electric ball, balls of electrical energy and they'll just like, you know, they'll sort of go all over the place and they'll just disappear. They'll you know, just vanish. Um, sometimes you see they'll run along fence lines and they'll jump over the trees and they'll do this and do that. And they'll just disappear. And just, just like electric charge. So you know, it's like that. These, these material desires, these material activities, they're, they're just so ephemeral, so temporary. They come, they remain for some time, they go, they vanish. You know, all these things in this material world, we can see that you know, these countries, big countries, they're endeavoring so much for so many uh, things to expand the empire, to expand the nation, to become so powerful. You know, but if you look through history, we see there were so many countries, so many empires existed, but where are they now? The Roman Empire, the, 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 the um, what were those uh, guys in the north of Greece? You know, I can't remember what they're called, but anyway, they're very, very powerful fighters, very, very powerful warriors. Um, you know, uh, uh, anyway, I can't remember all, the, all these different empires, you know, the Mayan Empire, the Incas, all these different, where are they now? They're just memories. That's all they are. They're just memories lost in history, basically. So, and this, that's the nature of everything in this material world. It is temporary. And the very nature of the material world is because it's temporary, it causes misery. And this is what's happening here with Daksha. It's like he had these desires that his, his 10,000 sons were going to go out and they were going to procreate like crazy and expand his empire. You know? I mean, can you imagine 10,000 sons, if they even had 10 sons each, that would mean that his empire is expanded to you know, 100,000. So he would feel so much more powerful, so much more successful, and he'd be able to enjoy so much more. But that, that was frustrating. Therefore, Dukalayam Ashashvatam. Misery is coming as a result because of the temporary nature of this material world. So another important instruction here is that don't place your faith, don't place, you know, your, your uh, don't sort of count on the, the, this material um, outcomes as, 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 you know, for your satisfaction, for your happiness, because you'll be frustrated. Yeah? 
And we see that's what's happening here, is Dux is becoming frustrated because he was, he was hoping that his sons were going to be able to create so much progeny so he'd become happy because he had grandsons, he had a big empire, etc., etc. But we see that everyone ultimately is frustrated. So this is the lesson for us, is, is don't, don't count on, on this material uh, situation as being able to bring you happiness or, or, or solving your problems in life, because it won't do that. Ultimately, it'll bring you frustration. You know, you may have children, you know, uh, and, and they, may, they may not turn out to be nice children, they may turn out to be rascals, they may turn out to, to you know, leave their body before you do. So, so much frustration comes as a result. And so, many, many um, wonderful story, wonderful instructions here. But ultimately, we see that, that Narad Muni, he, he, he's such a shining example because even though there's so much adversity being presented to him, he just maintains his service regardless. And we see there's so many nice examples in, in, in Gaudiya Vaishnava history of, of devotees who have been faced with, with very, very difficult circumstances, with great calamities, etc., but they just maintain their determination you know, to pursue the process of bhakti. And so this is a lesson for us, that no matter what happens in this material world, no matter what adversity you're confronted with, no matter what calamity has come, just stay fixed at the lotus feet of Krishna. And as Krishna says to Arjuna, by my grace, you cross over all the obstacles of conditioned life. Because conditioned life is just one obstacle after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. It just goes on. There's no end to the obstacles in this material world. But if we stay uh, fixed or attached to the lotus feet of Vishnu, Krishna, or if our aspiration is to become fixed at the lotus feet of Krishna, and we endeavor with all our capacity to achieve that, then these obstacles in this material world will, be, will become insignificant. Just like it mentions in the Bhagavatam, just like the, hoof, the water contained in the hoof print of a calf. Very, very insignificant, very easy to cross over. So, any questions at all? Any comments? Mm hmm. Because, see, see, the thing is, this is explained by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur. Let me see, I'll, I'll just find it for you, I'll read it to you. Ra rather than my words, I'll, I'll tell you his words, because, yeah, he's an amazing Acharya. Okay, the, the question was, 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 we see like with, with Dhruva Maharaj, he, he became purified and went back to Godhead um, through, through his process, practice of devotional service, whereas Daksha, he saw Vishnu, but he, 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 he still, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't fully purified. He, he, he acted improperly. Is that right? Is that your question? Is that okay? So let's see. We see here in, in um, this is in verse. Fifty-two purport. Srila Vishnu Thakur remarks in this connection that Daksha was given the facility for unlimited sexual intercourse. Intercourse in Daksha's previous life, he was also known as Daksha, 
But in the course of performing sacrifices, he offended Lord Shiva, and thus his head was replaced with that of a goat. Then Daksha gave up his life because of his degraded condition, but because he maintained the same unlimited sexual desires, he underwent austerities by which he satisfied the Supreme Lord, who then gave him unlimited potency for sexual intercourse. So, see, his, his reason for, for approaching Krishna was not for prema, but for, for, to, to fulfill his sexual desires. Therefore, he wound up in the situation he did. Because, and Prabhupada explains this in the purport, that, that to have this desire to satisfy sex life or sexual desires, it, it, it's not going to bring you happiness ultimately. You, you, know, you can approach, as it mentions in the, in the second uh, canto, third chapter, verse 10, it says, Akama, Savakama, Va, Moksha, Kama, Dharadihi, Tivrena, Bhati, Yogena, Yajeta, Purusham, Param. So, whether you're full of material desires or without material desires, you desire liberation, by all means approach the Supreme Lord. But the thing is, if you approach the Supreme Lord for, with material desires, you may wind up with, with an unsatisfactory outcome, which is what's happening here. But better approach Vishnu. Because eventually what happens is by approaching the Lord, those desires become purified. Which will eventually happen for Daksha also, if he maintains his approach, if he maintains his endeavor to satisfy the Lord. But because he approached with a material desire, there was some complications along the way. So this is the reason why, why he didn't get the same outcome as, say, for instance, Dhruva Maharaj, because he had material desires, and also because of his offense to Lord Shiva. Yeah? Is that clear? Yeah. Okay. Something else? You ask good questions, by the way. I always ask very good questions. Inquiring mind. Okay. No worries. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki. Samaveta Bhakti Vrindiki. Jai Nitai Go Premanandi.